This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. The Pope and Young Club wants to welcome you as we rally together to ensure our bow hunting opportunities for today and tomorrow. You've come to the podcast that believes in preserving, protecting, and promoting the passion for bow hunting. Join us as we strive to be the voice of today's bow hunter. This is the Pope and Young Podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Pope and Young Podcast. This is Jason Roundsville. I am joined today by my co-host, Dylan Ray. We also have special guest. Montana Andrew McKean with us today. Welcome, Andrew. Thanks, Jason. Nice to be here. Hey, yeah, gl- glad to have you. We're uh, we're talking about all things bow hunting and Pope and Young today. And uh, I know you've been uh, you've been in the outdoor industry for for a long time. Tell us a little bit about your your pedigree. I know editor and and so many different things. Writer, tell us a little bit about your outdoor heritage, if you will. Oh man. Well, uh, it's, it's extensive. I mean, I, I'm a Missouri farm kid who achieved escape velocity, I guess is one way to look at it and, uh, ended up in Eastern Montana where I think I was probably bound to end up in one way or the other, ever since I was about a 10 year old raking hay out in a hay field and like swearing to the sun and moon and clouds that I was going to be an outdoor writer. I was going to work for outdoor life and I was going to live in Montana. Oh, nice. And that I was going to name a kid Merlin. All of those came true. Well, that's pretty good. You know, to nail that, to go three for three when you're 10 years old, that's a pretty good run. I never did kiss Julie Bennell. Uh, Well, you know, may not be too late. Um, anyway, I'm having some fun, but that, yeah, so that I, I did, I grew up, uh, I think it's too late to kiss Julie, but, um, I did, I grew up, uh, farm country. We could see the Iowa line from the top of our grain bin. So that far North in Missouri and, 
you know, it's kind of, it's actually kind of interesting. When I was a kid, my dad made it pretty clear he really did not want me to take over the farm. And as it turned out, it was probably a good thing I didn't. I'd still be there farming, but I'd also be killing really big Missouri whitetails. He said, you know, country kids can either be welders or they can be teachers or they can work for the newspaper because every little town has got a welding shop, a school, and a newspaper. And I think that imprinted on me. So I, I actually became, I'm not a very good welder. I became a newspaper man. And um, almost the minute I graduated from college, I headed west to Montana where I started working for little country newspapers. And that really, I think, is what put ink in my bloodstream more than anything else. And I gravitated out to Seattle uh, after a while to probably get out of the eastern Montana wind. Um, and it's actually there that I really started working for magazines and specifically hunting and fishing magazines. I don't know if any listeners will remember this. It, Jason, you may remember this. Do you remember fishing and hunting news? It was, oh, uh, absolutely. came out every two weeks. It was tab format uh -huh. newsprint, but it was the Bible of like the bait fisherman and meat hunter. I was the, uh, Montana editor. And then we combined some editions and I became the Rocky mountain editor and covered Utah, Wyoming, Idaho, and Montana. And this thing came out every two weeks, but I was pretty efficient, and I could do the whole publication cycle in a week and then just hit the road with the fly rod and my dog and go collect content. Probably the nice. best job I will ever have. You know, I, I'm real quick, I hate to interrupt, but I just have an interesting story about a fly rod and a dog, and it just popped up on my Facebook memory thing today from seven years ago. And I just, I actually, I don't do a lot of Facebook stuff, but I just shared it today because a buddy of mine, TJ Hammond and I went on a Saskatchewan spring snow goose hunt. And we had the truck loaded up, two dog kennels in the back, had our, our uh, trailer full of decoys. We went up to Saskatchewan and shot some, some geese for a week. And then on the way back, we're like, you know, it'd be kind of crazy is because uh, we're going through Montana on the way back. And we said, you know what would be kind of crazy if, is if on our way back from a goose hunting trip, we actually went fishing. <laughs> so we pulled in. I wish I could remember the town, but we literally pulled into this uh, little town the next morning, parked in front of a fly fishing shop, literally have two dog boxes in the back. We, we roll out, you know, look like a couple of rednecks with all camo, everything to go fly fishing. And uh, actually did a float trip. I think it was on the Yellowstone River. And uh, on our way back from from a goose hunt, and it just reminded me of that because you said dog, <laughs> and both of the dogs that were with us on that trip and waited so patiently in the back of that truck while we were out fishing that morning, uh, neither of them are with us anymore. And those those were good dogs. That was dashing dude, but it was just you said fly rod and dog, so I had to share that just real quick because it just popped up on my thing. Today. Oh, that's a good memory. That's a yeah. good memory. But anyway, sorry to interrupt you. That oh, just... no, it was good. That's, that's what it's all about. So anyway, I went from fishing and hunting news to outdoor life, which was making good on one of my pledges as a 10-year-old. Um, and I, I was the hunting editor, actually. I followed Jim Zumbo, a name that a lot of folks will remember, uh, on the hunting editor desk and did that for a long time. I had actually, by that point, moved out of Seattle back to Montana and then back to like 50 miles down the road where I started my newspaper career, wow. where, I still, where I still live. Eastern Montana, northeastern Montana. Glasgow is the name of the town. Uh, we're right on the Milk River. 
and Fort Peck Reservoir and then the Missouri River breaks are um, just in my backyard. You're actually talking to me on a really unfortunate day because I just found out about 15 minutes before we started this podcast that I did not, for the 33rd year in a row, draw a Missouri Breaks Bighorn Sheep permit. Well, if it's any consolation, I, I haven't drawn that either. <laughs> well, we're in good company then. Yeah, yeah. Your odds might have been better than mine, though, since I, I didn't apply this year. So, Well, I actually forgot one little interlude that actually has something to do with sheep and the breaks. Uh, I actually worked for Montana Fish, Wildlife, and Parks for about seven years in between some of these editor gigs. Um, you know, and I think it's, it's become sort of um, customary to kick the shins of fish and game agencies, but I'll tell you what. One of the highlights of my life is wearing that patch on my sleeve and working for the agency. Um, they do great work, and I've just got a lot of affection for fish and game agencies as a result. So anyway, I went to Outdoor Life, was the hunting editor, doing you know Outdoor Life at the time was based in Manhattan, New York, uh, but my office was here in Glasgow, Montana, so it was the best of all worlds. I could live in the huntingest town in America and really cover the whole world for Outdoor Life. And I did what, that. Oh, go ahead. What year was that? Oh, man, I'm so bad with chronologies. Probably that was, I date most things to the birth of my, I got twin boys. They were born in 2001. And I think I joined Outdoor Life in 2004. And this is going back to where there weren't, you know, 100 outlets at your fingertips no. for, for information. I mean, I, I tell people about that and, and, you look at it back in the day, it was okay. You had outdoor life, field and stream, and sports of field. And those were kind of the big ones that you waited for in the mailbox every month. Well, and it was worth the wait because, you know, they were big, thick magazines. We had actually, I first started working for outdoor life as a freelancer. Um, you might remember that all of those big three actually had um, regional editions. So they had, kind of location-specific stuff within their pages. It was usually, if Outdoor Life was a yellow kind of newsprint, pages that were stapled into the national editions. And so, you know, those were big, meaty issues. They'd have, you know, seven, eight, nine features in every magazine issue with beautiful photography. And, and you know, you talked about kind of those big three. Outdoor Life started publishing in 1898. Wow. Just to kind of give you the arc of that timeline. I mean, you know, it really covered a lot of the big conservation movements in America the you know, obviously the creation of, um, of your group, Pope and Young, Boone and Crockett, and really the wildlife restoration era. And then all the way through state agencies and, you know, the establishment of game wardens and scientific wildlife management, outdoor life was there for all of that. Wow. So anyway, uh, to continue, I'll, I'll keep it brief, but I, uh, I had achieved that second job that I wanted, which was to be the hunting editor of Outdoor Life, uh, making good on that 10-year-old oath to the sky. Um, and then my boss got fired. One of the things you'll recognize uh, about my career is there are lots of involuntary job losses. Um, so my boss got fired, and I was asked to take over the role as editor-in-chief of Outdoor Life. And one of the things I said is, you know, that job has a big desk in New York City, right? And the publisher said, yeah, it does. You know, and we're ready to put your name on the door. And golly, I thought about it. I'm like, man, I'm, I, I've got the best of all worlds. I'm living with my young family here in rural Montana. I, 
covering the world. Uh, I mean, I've been to Africa at that point, probably four or five times and around the world hunting for outdoor life. And I thought, why in the world do I want to manage people and budgets? And so I said, look, why don't you just take it provisionally? Let's try it for a few months, see if you like it. And then if you do that, we can talk. So I said, okay, but my, my requirement is I'd like to try to do it for Montana. And I said, okay, let's see how it works. So that sort of provisional relationship went on for like a year, well, years, uh, four, five, six years. I basically would fly to New York oh, probably six times a year. And I live 285 miles from the Billings Airport. So it takes some doing to get <laughs> to and from a trip. But it was worth it. Um, you know, I got to, I got to lead a, a stable of remarkable people and remarkable reporters and writers and, and really kind of be at the helm of an iconic brand. And it, it, was, it was awesome um, until I got fired. So there again is that theme, job loss, involuntary job loss. But so that was about two years ago, I suppose. And in some ways, it was the best thing that ever happened. Actually, in every way, it was the best thing that ever happened. I didn't have to worry about budgets anymore or managing people. And I struck out on my own. And so that's really where I am now is I'm, I'm an independent uh, contractor, I guess, freelancer, project manager. Surprisingly, I'm still the hunting editor of Outdoor Life, which is one of the great, just sort of <laughs> great joys of my life. I, I still have that title and 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 a lot of that that job of coordinating coverage for my favorite publication in the world. Uh, but nice. I also have the hat. I also have the happy um, benefit of working for lots and lots of other pubs. So. I work for Peterson's Hunting and Game and Fish, and there's a new magazine called Strung that I just became the big game editor for, and uh, lots of conservation magazines. Uh, so yeah, I'm stringing words together and, and still living in little old Glasgow, Montana. All from a 10-year-old pledge. <laughs> That's exactly right. You know, I'm, I'm probably, for me personally, I'm probably glad that I didn't go with what I wanted as a 10-year-old. I'm glad I went with something from, you know... <laughs> Maybe my teens, because <laughs> it's uh, otherwise I'm not sure what ten year old Jason would have would have wanted, but it's probably not where I am now. This is this is more like sixteen year old Jason. You know, hey, what do you want to do? Oh, you know, I want to hunt and fish, and what else? Uh, oh boy, is there more? Um, that that would have been me, but I'm not sure I had a grasp on it at ten. So. Well, I I'm, I guess I was an early developer on a couple of those things. I think it's impressive that a 10-year-old chose writing. You know, most most 10-year-olds are, even if it is hunting, it's, you know, want to be the next Michael Waddell or Chuck Adams or, you know, the famous on-air personality. Um, and Andrew chose writing, and I, I think that's really cool. Um, it's just neat to well, watch it unfold. There are two reasons for that. One is my mom was an English teacher, you know, and so I think my love of language and words uh, is from her. But the other thing is I am most comfortable telling other people's stories. And I, I think that's actually a, that's a skill set that I think is in short supply sometime in our world. You know, we, we always, we kind of want to tell our own story a lot, but honestly, I love, um, I love listening to other people's stories and asking them, kind of getting beyond, you know, the the superficial to kind of what makes them tick. I am not as comfortable being on stage as I will be at convention and talking and kind of owning the moment. I much prefer to be behind the notepad or behind the camera recording other people's lives. 
Yeah, I'm. It's uh, cool. It's really cool, and you do it really well. Absolutely. Well, thanks. Yeah, and following Jim Zumbo. That's. Uh, I've got a, just a quick Jim Zumbo story here. I was at I think Dallas Safari Club a few years ago with with our event planner Heather, and you know throughout the day she'd have been like, "Oh, there's there's this guy. He has a, a hunting show on TV now." And I'm like, "Oh, okay, cool." And then there'd be like, oh, here's, oh, that guy has a, you know, a hunting show, or here's this other guy. And, and some of them were, were newer folks that I just wasn't familiar with. And so we're standing there at the booth, and I look down to my left, and here, here comes Jim Zumba walking up the aisle. And I'm like, Heather, holy smokes, you will never believe it. Jim Zumba is walking up this way. And she turns to me, and she's like, who's that? And I'm like, <laughs> oh, my gosh, I, I just can't even communicate with you. So... And I told her, I said, you know, like the 30 people that you've pointed out to me so far, this, you know, this trip, I said, roll those all up into one and then multiply that by, you know, a factor. And then you'd have, you know, Jim Zumbo. And she, yeah. So to, to follow him, that's, that's, some that's a pretty big shoes to fill. Well, you know, Jim was unceremoniously fired also from Outdoor Life. Uh, again, that theme. Uh, I don't know if any or how many listeners will remember, but he had written a, a kind of unfortunate column condemning uh, modern sporting rifles, ARs. And, you know, it's really at the infancy of that type of gun and, and the use in the hunting fields. And anyway, his departure was swift. Uh, and then all of a sudden, there I am installed in his position and, at the next year's SHOT Show, I saw Jim, and we didn't really know each other real well. I had edited some of his copy, and we knew who each, each other were, but we didn't really, we hadn't had a formal introduction, and I was terrified of him. I thought, oh, boy, he's going to he's gonna absolutely just uh, be so consternated about me taking his job and everything that happened to him, and I avoided him for a couple of days, and finally, some mutual friends said, enough of this nonsense. we got to get you guys together, and he was the most was then and remains one of the most gracious people in my life. He is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I think about that. When you think of, Oh, elk hunting, that's, uh, he's the first name that pops up in my book. Yeah. Right. So yeah. What an, have you had a chance to hunt with him? You know, we've turkey hunted together. We've shared a wall tent camp in Nebraska. I'm trying to think we shared a pheasant hunt. Uh, I don't think we've done any big game hunting. You know, he, he lives in Cody, Wyoming. I've stayed with him a couple of times. We've got lots and lots of friends in Cody in common. So every time I'm in Cody, I stop by to see him. He has become, he still hunts. Uh, he is the ultimate meat hunter. He is never happier than when he's got a steaming, you know, white-tailed doe or antelope doe at his feet. But he has become a voracious fisherman. Man, he really? fishes constantly and, and does it well. I mean, he's just, he's as happy as I've ever seen a man. That's good. That's really good. Yeah, you don't think of, you know, a lot of a lot of times you don't necessarily think of fishing in Wyoming. But yeah. I know they've got some fantastic trout streams back there. Do you, you get to do much fishing? You know, it's kind of funny. I was lamenting this fact with my kids the other day. Not, not as much as I used to. I mean, you know, I, I kind of talked about my background with fishing and hunting news. And the order of those two words, fishing and hunting, was a pretty good reflection of its content. Fishing and hunting news was foremost fishing, you know, and with the little seasonal hunting content, I bet I fished 200, maybe 225 days a year when I was the editor of that outfit. 
Wow. And, and raised my kids fishing and just fit. But you know, as, as I got to cover more big game stuff, I was out of town hunting a lot more and I, I sold my boat. I, I just kind of got out of fishing. It was kind of an unfortunate because I love fishing. I was telling one of my boys this the other day as we were casting topwater plugs to Fort Peck Pike, um, unsuccessfully, I might add. But he's like, Dad, why don't you fish as much as we used to? And I said, yeah, it's, it's like, that's a problem I'm trying to correct. Yeah. It, it's, I like to do some fishing, you know, being in Western Oregon. We get, you know, the ocean right over the hill and, and you know, rivers from little streams up to Willamette and Columbia River. So there's a lot of opportunities around here. And so if it's not hunting season, I like to get out and do my share of fishing. And we had, uh, it was one of our new corporate partners, Garmin, came on. And they were really excited to talk about some of their hunting stuff. And the first time I talked to the guy, I says, oh, man, I love Garmin products. Man, I've got fish finders. I've got your autopilot on my boat. I've got this and that. And I think the first five minutes I talked about other than hunting you know, Garmin products. And I said, Oh yeah, I've also got your GPS and <laughs> Rhino and stuff like that too. But uh, we had a really good conversation with them and, and uh, it was kind of a, kind of a neat thing because it got to incorporate both all in one conversation. Yeah, I, it's, it is interesting. So I live in the Northern Plains where I am is more catfish and walleye country in Northern Pike we don't really have the blue ribbon cold water streams you might think of when you think about Montana fish, but man, we've got excellent fish here. Yeah. Um, uh, I just need to do it more. Yeah. Yeah. It's sometimes it just comes down to, uh, to time and effort and, and it, it takes time to do it and, and it takes effort. It's always more effort to go fishing than to not go fishing. It's <laughs> a good way to put it. Yeah. So what, uh, if you had to pick one thing to hunt, what would it be? Oh man! One, oh, one thing, Kyle. It might be bow hunting elk. Although hunting public land mule deer is probably is a close second. Um, you know, both I've got the happy, um, I guess, luck to have both pretty good and pretty close to me right here. Um, this actually, I didn't hunt. I didn't even put in for a permit in Missouri breaks to hunt elk last year, but that's kind of a fixture of my fall. I started coaching cross country teams. Um, first my kids and now other people's kids. And, and that puts a, that puts just a big hole in my fall, but uh, probably, yeah, probably bow hunting elk, partly because of the weather. Um, early September in elk country is a pretty nice place to be. Yeah, it sure is. And it, you and I like the range that time of year too. I'd like to say I would I would have answered that. Well, my favorite kind of hunting is sheep hunting, but I just haven't done it enough to make it my favorite. But um, when I worked for Fish, Wildlife, and Parks here, I did a lot of work with the bighorn sheep and the breaks. And then I just love covering sheep hunting and sheep country. And I was lucky enough to kill one ram in, in Wyoming on a uh, public permit. But, boy, I could sure get used to sheep country. So, you know, I would probably go, you know, bow hunting elk is right up there. And since I haven't been sheep hunting yet, I, I don't know that I can give that a fair shake. So, you know, I, I wouldn't mind representing, you know, for the sheep hunters out there. Just uh, I'm probably going to need to actually try it before I can, can jump on that wagon. I think it'll appeal to you. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I look at that 
and I look at sheep hunting and then I look at bow hunting sheep and, and that just seems like another level. Like I think I could sheep hunt, but I'm not sure if I could bow hunt sheep. That's just seems like maybe a little bit more than I respect the guys that do it. I'm just not sure if I'm in that league. Yeah. That's a big first step. Um, yeah. and second, second step and all yeah. the other steps. <laughs> yeah. And, and another three trips up the mountain. So that's what you can do it. I just don't know that I've got the legs to do it enough to get one with the bow. Yeah. So, but that's fun. Have you had a chance to do much sheep hunting? You know, uh, I can't believe I'm going to tell you this, but I am Oh, for two for doll sheep. Um, I went to the Yukon Territory. Actually, my very first sheep hunt was uh, it was a fly-in sheep hunt in the Yukon, and I rode horseback for like eighty-seven miles up into the Arctic Circle. That was one way. Uh, spent wow. ten days in the saddle and looked over something like thirty-five rams. Not one was a legal was a legal ram. Really. Yeah, it was just, you know, it was just one of those deals. I mean, we were hunting virgin territory. I mean, places that uh, had never seen a, at least a sheep hunter with the outfit that I went with. Uh, we actually were so far north, we found an old trail marker that was in Cyrillic. It was in Russian. Wow. Um, but we didn't find a legal ram. And, and you know, we found a bunch that were right at full curl. I mean, but but right at full curl. It's like, I don't want to take a chance of something that looks legal in my scope and I walk up to it and I find out it's just not quite right. So then, uh, I ended up going back a few years later. Um, Oh, and actually we found stone sheep on that hunt, which was pretty interesting. Uh, we ended up, uh, hiking into, uh, dropping into this watershed, this big hanging Valley that had fan and sheep, which are kind of the missing link between, uh, doll sheep and, and stone sheep anyway. And none of them were legal either. Um, and then I hunted sheep in British Columbia, and we never saw actually a ram. It was a mostly a caribou hunt, but I also had a sheep tag. I did draw, uh, oh, it must have been 2014 probably, I drew a um, sheep, a bighorn sheep tag in Wyoming, actually right outside of Cody, between Cody and Yellowstone Park, and, and spent just some of the most, you know, I, the favorite days of my life in the saddle, uh, hunting sheep with my buddy lee livingston and got one uh so anyway i got a sheep on my wall right behind me as we speak here a beautiful rocky mountain bighorn nice that is uh if i had to chase them that would probably be the the top one on my list i think it's also boy i mean it's it's pretty elusive i mean they they don't give a lot of sheep permits out and um and there's nothing gentle about sheep country but boy when you get a chance to do it you, you don't you don't turn that one down no, for sure. And and you never, you know, when you talk to people who hunt sheep, it's, there's nobody that's like, ah, it's okay. It's, <laughs> you, you either love it or, yeah, I don't care to ever do that again. But yeah. overwhelmingly, people that, that get to do it, they just can't wait to get back out there. Get back you know, I, uh, I neglected to mention one other unsuccessful sheep hunt. You know, Montana's got, um, it depends on the year, but I think this year there's three unlimited sheep districts. Uh, in previous years, there's been as many as five. You know, and these are areas where you can you can buy a sheep permit or you get a guaranteed permit, but then um, it's on uh, it's on a quota basis. And when that quota is reached, all hunting shuts down, and that quota can be reached, you know, within an hour after legal light on the opening day, or it can take a few days to do it. But 
um, I did a DIY backpack hunt into that country uh, for sheep, and I found some ewe and lamb groups, but I never found any rams. And by the time I was kind of at that junction of do I go farther on my uh, blister erupting hike, I mean, it's big country. I had a big pack. Or do I turn around uh, and get cell service where I can check about the quota? I got cell service and found out that the season had closed. So that made up my mind for me. But that's that's a young man's game. But, boy, it's one that I think any hunter needs to try once. Yeah, for sure. I have a good friend of mine. uh, He does that in Alberta where he's able to get a permit fairly often. And I'm just like, man, people people wait their whole lives to get – to get those down in the states and, yeah. and he is a crack at them up there so it's always neat to hear about the, the things that you've yet to try and what is on what is on your bucket list for things that you haven't quite done yet and you'd like to do oh well i'm glad we're talking about sheep because probably the probably the pinnacle of my dreams is argali sheep marco polo sheep in mongolia Okay. Um, you know, people have been to Mongolia and been into the interior of it, say it looks a lot like Montana. I think it'd just be spectacular country to just to go and learn and, and see the culture, but also have in mind a, a big, full, double curl Argali sheep at the end of that deal. So that's a big bucket list. I, I'm, I can't believe I'm going to tell you this, but I've been to Africa a number of times. I've never killed a Cape buffalo. Um, so that one I, I think is a little more achievable than the Argali. And then I love caribou. I love everything about where they live. I love their behavior. And I've got uh, most of the way through a caribou grand slam, but the mountain caribou has eluded me. Um, and I, I'm just in love with the country where they live, you know, northern BC. Um, parts of the Brooks range. Uh, so I would love, absolutely love to check that one off the list. You bet. That, that seems to be the one that, that is, is oftentimes the last one people are able to connect with on that. Yeah. But I mean, just, you know, this, it's an animal the size of a mule deer with as much as like 400 or 450 inches of antler. It's just crazy. The amount of horn that they carry. Yeah. That is, that's, I might have to move that one up my list. <laughs> All right. Sounds yeah. like we got a buddy trip coming. Uh, I'm telling you. Yeah. I was thinking that's, I, when you mentioned Cape Buffalo, I was thinking, that's what I was thinking is buddy trip. I'm like, man, we've got a drawing going on right now. And I think Dylan, what is it? One of the, one of the choices for the winner is, is to Cape Buffalo. So I was like, yeah. man, that'd be handy. I hope, you know, somebody I know wins that. So I hope you win it, Jason, and take me, you know. There you get see, there you go. Um, lots of good choices on that one. But yeah, I've I had the privilege of doing Africa, didn't get a Cape Buffalo, but uh man, it's so such a neat experience to be over there. Yeah. It's uh it's it's hard to describe the folks who have yet to do it, it that one's pretty tough to describe. Just the amount of game and in the the variety is just mind just overwhelming almost and there's something about the landscape that really imprints on you i mean maybe it's the quality of the light or the smells of it but it's it's a it's a remarkable place for a traveling hunter yeah 
Yeah, I did so, notice when I was there, I had a huge, um, the one thing that became evidently clear right away is that I have absolutely no field judging <laughs> experience or knowledge. What's, I tried to read up on it before I went. And then you get over there and you're like, oh, wow, that's a, that's a big kudu. And they're like, oh, no, 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 no. You're not shooting that little thing. And I'm like, really? The thing is huge. And they're like, no, that's a nut. And like to me, you know, I can tell the difference between a monster elk and an average elk or a, or a small elk. But some of the things over there, even the small ones look, look big just because they're so different, so yeah. unique. So what's at the top of your bucket list? Man. How long, how long do we have left on the show? <laughs> I've got a long, long list. And every time I talk to somebody new, I, I keep adding to it. You know, most people my age are checking things off their list. And I've checked a number off. But, man, I, every time I check something off, I add three or four to the bottom. That's good, though. I mean, that keeps you young. I guess so. And hungry. It, it does. I, I kind of wish I had my, you know, like 24-year-old legs back, though. Because I look at it, I'm like, man. Uh, some of the things I used to do hunting then, it's like, that was so much work. I'm not even sure if I'd want to watch somebody do <laughs> some of the things I used to do. Yeah. It's like, yeah. carry how much weight across how far? Oh, man. that's That didn't even sound like fun when I was young and could do that stuff. But, well, you know the answer to this or, you know, the punchline, but, you know, your legs are not getting any younger. So there is, they're right now at this moment as young as they're ever going to be. I know. So don't that, wait too long. Don't wait too long. And everybody out there that, you know, the, the longer you wait, the more you realize you shouldn't have waited any longer. So it's sometimes the time is, the time is never right. So the time might as well be now. Yeah, that's right. Well, you know, if, if I'm up for that, it would be nice if Canada would open this border so they could help me out with some of that. Boy, I know it. I live 60 miles from that line, and it is like the Iron Curtain, you know, the Berlin yeah. Wall up there. I mean, it's just no getting in and out. And um, Yeah, I, I hope that happens. Yeah, it's. I know it's affecting, you know, a lot of, a lot of hunters, but a lot of our outfitters, as we're prepping for this convention, um, you know, you talk to the outfitters up there, and they've been shut down for, for two years now for the spring bear and some of those things. And, and they don't know if they're going to get opened up this fall. And I just, I can't imagine what that's, what that's putting them through. It's definitely yeah. not, not a good situation. And I've missed uh, three trips up there myself now. So that just makes me a little grumpy. <laughs> you don't want to be grumpy. No, I don't like to be grumpy. So um, I'm, I'm just hoping for this fall. I hope they, I hope they get it back open. If you had to pick one place in the world to go, what would your would it be Africa? Would it be Montana? Uh, you know, I think it depends. It's a little situational. Um, this one you might not see coming, but I am in love with a place I've never been. But I almost and it's it's like Kyrgyzstan and the the Russian far west. So. You know, basically the north of the Black Sea between the Black and the Caspian Sea and the Ural Mountains. There's just something about that place and the game that it holds that really speaks to me. So you were talking about like uh, this is the Mid Asian ibex lives there, and oh, there's there's some there's some uh, hard horned sheep in there. I mean, it is but just 
there's something about the hunting culture there and the, the human culture. It just seems like a great adventure. On one side of the mountain range, you got Afghanistan. On the other side, you got China. And then on the other side, you got Russia. And it's just so much has happened in that kind of transcaucasus Ural mountain region, just in the history of the world. I'd love to go and explore it. So that one, I don't know. That one's right up there for me. Okay. That's, uh, you didn't see that one coming, did you? I, you know, I didn't see that one coming. I'm like, let's see on the corner of Afghanistan, China and Russia. (laughs) If like, if if you were playing a board game, you're like, Hey, where's one place you want to stay out of? Uh, gee, the corner of Afghanistan, Russia and China. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> not Andrew. He wants to go hunting over there. That's, I do. I want to yeah. actually take a firearm into that ground and just explore. That's cool. Um, I like mountain hunting a lot, and that is kind of the pinnacle, so to speak, of mountain hunting. Very nice. I have some friends who've done it. I've never – I don't know if that one would make my list. Maybe if I yeah. get to a third page, I'll add that. Okay. So, there you go. Yeah. That's, but, you know, I mean, but so on the, on the more domestic front, honestly, like – I. It's, it's funny. I've been such a Westerner and so much of my horizons have been to the West and, and I feel like I know the West pretty dang well. I actually don't know some of the wilder places of the East and I would love to hunt turkeys around Cumberland Gap and explore kind of the Shenandoah and that Blue Ridge country and just, I mean, really deeply know it. So that's pretty appealing to me. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's interesting. I haven't hunted that area, but I actually just got to go back and hunt upstate New York for turkeys and had a fantastic trip. It was, you know, from a, as a small town kid in Oregon, you know, all you think of New York is skyscrapers. And, and I flew back there and, uh, and got to drive and see a lot of country and it, it's just gorgeous. And it's absolutely nothing like anything you would expect it to be. Yeah. And, exactly like everything you would hope it would be huh, you know, kind of cool. broken woodlots and, and you know hay hay fields and, and ag and homesteads and and just some beautiful old buildings and farmhouses and it was a, a neat trip and and uh, got to connect on my first eastern turkey so that was nice was definitely a, a highlight so i enjoyed that tremendously it's nice to just get out like like you say, I'm kind of a Western guy. I've spent most of my time, had a lot of opportunities to hunt hunt in some other areas, but a lot of it has been predominantly on the West. And so it's nice to get out and see other, other parts of the country. So have you hunted those Rio Grande turkeys in the, on the Umpqua and around Roseburg? Absolutely. Yeah, that's, that's, that is cool country. Yeah, it's, I was trying to tell the guys in, you know, where I was in New York about how we hunt in, in Western Oregon, cause it's, it's just completely different. You know, back there you're, you're getting there, they scout and they know exactly where to be. And of course they're right on the X they're right where you want to be. And a lot of how I grew up turkeys, turkey hunting was, you know, you couldn't get on the X so you'd get as close as you could to it. And, and it was a lot of hiking ridges, like forested ridges just to try to get that locator call so that you can get down on them and, and try to call them to where you can get to them. And, and it was just, uh, it's a completely different style of hunting than what I did back there. Yeah. So, um, and I think if they, I think if you showed them pictures of where, where I used to do all my turkey hunting here, you know, forested canyons and stuff that they, 
a lot of them look more like elk territory than turkey territory. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Have you been in that Umqua Basin got to do? I've not hunted turkeys there, but I drew a Colombian whitetail tag um, last last fall. Holy smokes. I Time is getting away from me. I, to, I was about to say two years ago, but it was actually last October. Um, and, you know, that's a real, it's the westernmost whitetail. And it was, you know, it was on the endangered species list for some time, but through a lot of remarkable habitat work and, um, and property acquisition, there's a huntable population there near Roseburg. And so, yeah, I came, I went down there and, and hunted with a guy named Jody Smith, uh, a guide service down there out of Elkton. And, uh, oh, there were, there were so many turkeys everywhere. I mean, in fact, so many turkeys that they would screw up our deer hunting pretty regularly. Yeah. Uh, but it just made me kind of, and Jody said, you know, there's, he, uh, he's got, I can't remember how many hundreds of turkey hunters he ends up taking it in the course of a season. But he's like, I think he said they're a hundred percent. Um, anyway, a lot of birds. Yeah. Yes, I had a buddy of mine years ago came out, and he he hunts turkeys all over the country. I mean, that's kind of probably his biggest thing. And he came out and got to hunt Washington for a few days, and he was asking me about somebody in Oregon. So I sent him down with Jody for turkeys. And I think he connected on a couple while he was here. So it was a good trip. And and that, that country is just absolutely gorgeous. You know, the Umpqua River and, and that whole area is just beautiful. Well, if you uh, if you hear any weariness in my voice, it's because I was up this morning at three fifteen to uh, go turkey hunting with my neighbor. And this is a guy he's cowboy through and through. I don't think I've ever not seen him with a neckerchief, right? And uh, he feeds quite a few cows in this kind of woodlot in the Milk River bottom. And he kept talking about seeing turkeys down there. And so I said, "Well, you ever killed one?" He's like, "Well." Now, I've only killed a couple, and he said they were with the ranch rifle when I was out feeding in the fall. So those turkeys were on the what we call the hot lunch program. Yeah, um, the thirty thirty. Yeah, yeah. He said. So I said, well, you know, the springtime can be a little different. So I actually took him out this morning, um, and we got we got it. It was perfect timing, and um, but there was not a bird to be heard gobbling on the roost, and so I thought, you know what? let's just throw all our eggs in this basket and kind of gamble on a spot and just go set decoys up on this area. It looked like a really good strut zone. And sure enough, there were turkeys in the roost across the river. I managed to call them across the river. They flew down across the Milk River and marched right into our setup. There were four jakes and he was on the gun. And I, I neglected to tell him what a jake was, um, but it was fine. He was, you know, it was a legal bird. He would, he'd have been fine with anything, but he's using my borrowed shotgun and, this Jake kind of hung out that a decoy was pretty goofy. And this Jake got a little suspicious and started putting it about 47 or 48 yards away. And I kept waiting for Jaron to touch one off, but he just never did. And after a while, the Jake's just faded away a little bit, but I've been snake bit this year on turkeys. I think that was the sixth time I've been out on the milk river here in my home County. And I've been taking other people out, but still, I used to think that people who couldn't kill turkeys were second class citizens. And now I am one. <laughs> well so far so far <laughs> yeah you, you have a little season left 
Uh, I think it ends on Sunday. So uh, we're talking on Tuesday. So I got four, I got five days left. That's it. Okay. All right. Well, you know what? We know better than you being a second class citizen. So <laughs> we're, we're going to send some, uh, you know, I'd say I'd send you some good luck, but I haven't connected on one in Oregon maybe because I haven't spent much time out there, but uh, I don't, I'll send you a little bit of luck, just not all of it. How about you keep your luck and I'll take Dylan's. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, <laughs> deal. You told him he could take his shots, Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah, you, you know, we have to take our shots where we can get them, Dylan. Yeah, That's right. I understand. We're, we're just jealous because you still got those young legs. <laughs> yeah. That's true. But so what is, uh, what's your big trip coming up for next year? What's anything out of the ordinary or, or particular interest to you for next year? Uh, I actually have got, I'm going to Alaska for a DIY caribou hunt in August, but that's in that area uh, in the, basically the northern um, slope, you know, north of the Brooks Range. It's kind of been proposed for closure to non-resident sport hunting, and so I'm a little unsure about my status up there, but I got a plane ticket to Anchorage, and I'm going with a couple of buddies, and we were talking the other day about whether or not we're actually going to pull this thing off. And we agreed, look, the hunting may be kibosh, but we're still going to go and rent a pickup or whatever and take our fishing gear and spend the time fishing if we don't go hunting. But, man, do I want to hunt caribou up there. Yeah. And it's a DIY deal. You know, you basically hire a, full, or a wheeled plane to take you and just drop you off, and you're on your own for as long as you say, tell them to come back at a date specific and, you know, that's my kind of hunting right there. So I, I hope it happens. And then I've got a bunch of buddies coming to hunt mule deer in Montana. Um, one of them's uh, my landowner-sponsored hunter this year. Actually, he may be a friend of, of the brand. Brooks Hansen from uh, Camp Chef is coming out. So that's going to be fun. Just a good nice. old buddy hunt. Yeah. Another guy's coming out too. So you work at, I'm going to be at home. And then we also have good sage grouse hunting where I live. And, you know, a lot of people are. Bet you eat with old Brooks, huh? Yeah, we'll see how that goes. But uh, a couple <laughs> other people are coming out for sage grouse season, and then a couple other more are coming out for pheasant. And I think another guy's coming out for goose season. So I'm going to play host this fall. There you go. Yeah, I was going to say, I know you're not far from, from some goose hunting because I've, I've hunted that Milk River area just on the other side, on the Alberta side. Yeah. And there's gotten into some really good bird hunting. Oh, several years ago, that Thanksgiving area or Thanksgiving time area. Well, my neighbors have told me that's one thing I really can't talk about. Yeah, exactly. Well, we, we won't talk about it here. That's all right. We're, <laughs> we're just bow hunters. We wouldn't want to that's shoot right. you know, right. truckloads of geese anyway. That's uh, what, do you, which do you do more of the birds or the big game? Oh, big game. I mean, it's just that's where my heart is and, and where my freezer is in some ways you know I, i've got these 20 year old twin boys i i pretty much have to hunt i'm a, i'm a subsistence hunter as much as anything there you go uh, but i've got a heck of a bird dog um, and air pheasant hunting has been out of this world the last few years and so i actually spend a lot of time grouse and pheasant hunting and then a bunch of buddies have got we've got all of our decoys together in a shared trailer for goose season so I usually get after geese when everything else is done, but we've got about probably six weeks of world-class goose hunting. Um, and 
And that's kind of my speed at that time. I'm, I'm about hiked out. I'm about dogged out. And so we field hunt geese pretty hardcore for a while. Nice. And that's, that's a lot of fun. If you're in the right spot, that's pretty tough to beat. Yeah. Yeah. I'll tell you what, I think the coldest I've ever been on a bird hunt was Montana and it was, it was South of you, but I was over there and it was, I think minus six and I got in the layout blind and, and I had heated gloves and a couple other things. And, and so I was trying to stay warm. I had my bottle of Mountain Dew in the layout line next to me. The thing froze solid. And so finally I got in the truck. I said, hey, I'm going to go scout. We weren't in the right spot. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to go scout minus a field for this afternoon. I got in the truck and 45 minutes after hot air blonde, my feet in that Mountain Dew were still frozen solid. So, <laughs> Well, was, usually uh, when it's that cold, the hunting's pretty hot. But yeah, if you're in the wrong spot, that makes it even colder. Yeah, there was an X and it was not where we were. <laughs> so that's that's what happens when you let somebody else spot your spot your area for you. But uh, yeah, made, made for a good story anyway. Well, I'll tell you what, Andrew, one of the things that we ask every one of our guests on this show is, you know, especially when you get people like yourself that have had the opportunity to hunt all over the country, all over the world. What is one thing that you wind up taking on your hunts with you that might be a non-traditional item that not everybody would think about having? Oh, that's a great question. <sighs> hmm. Well, I, this one is pretty typical. So I'll, I'll answer the, the expected before the unexpected. I always take my dad's three-bladed case uh, rancher pocket knife with the sheep's foot blade somewhere along the line. I'm not taking blame for it was broken off. So it's a two and a half bladed, uh, two and a half bladed knife. Yeah. So, um, this is every, no matter where I go, whether it's Africa or the Yukon or Mexico, I always take, uh, Cersei predator call. Really? Okay. Yep. And it's kind of interesting. Like I, I love to hunt predators. Um, and the Cersei, uh, it's a closed read call. I don't know if you're familiar with it. It's just an old classic a jackrabbit in distress. You can make it, you can play that thing like a clarinet. You can make an awful lot of different noises with it, but it's surprising. Um, the amount of sort of non predators you can call with it too. Um, interesting. I, I've called in lots of mule deer does during the rut and had a buck come in following the doe. So I, you know, I, I'd say I called in that mule deer buck with a predator call, but I, I probably just called the doe. Right. Um, but you know, you can, you can make animals stand up if they're bedded down. It's just a really good tool to have. Um, and it's, it's really, really fun after dark in Africa. Let me tell you. Huh. Interesting. Wow. Well, that's a new one. I like that. That's that's actually really cool. Yeah, it's funny. I hadn't thought about it until you asked the question, but that is that that one's that one is in the all time bag. That's good. That's that's a that's a uh, definitely a unique one. We haven't had that before. So normally we get something, you know. What was it, Frank Noska? He takes earplugs, you know, for the snoring. <laughs> yeah. Even though he hunts by himself, so well, kinda... can't live with himself. Yeah. But uh, no, we've had a lot of good ones. And then I don't know one of the one of the first ones that we had, I think, is still one of my all time favorite. Is uh, 
is we had Justin Gordon on who shot that new world record mule deer. That's just unbelievable. And uh, he says when he's in the backcountry, he likes to take a package of bacon, and that's his treat. Is that at some point in time when he's back there, he gets bacon? I was like, you know that. I don't know where bacon would ever be a bad answer. So, <laughs> so I appreciated that one too. A buddy of mine's got a shirt uh, that just says big letters on the front. Bacon helps. Yes. Yeah. And it's, you know, anything that you're not really excited to eat, you know, like maybe doves or, or ducks or, or whatever you're not super excited to eat, you're wrapping in bacon and all of a sudden it's better. It's, yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, well, Andrew, we're really excited to have you on the show today. I'm definitely excited to spend some time with you coming up. Wow. Sooner than you realize here in Reno, we'll be there the, what, 14th through the 17th at the Nugget for our 60th anniversary celebration. I think that's going to be a lot of fun and, and really excited that you're going to join us for that one. I cannot wait. Um, it's been way too many years since I've been to a Pope and Young convention. So this will, uh, this will also check a box. Good. So thanks for having me. It's going to be a, it's going to be a good time. Yeah. We've got a lot of, a lot of great folks and we're just excited because it's such a, you know, we're, we're kind of right now in the, you know, we're the first major outdoor show to be held in person in, you know, almost two years. And so it's, uh, it's a lot of people are really excited about it. And then we're also the growing pains of, Oh man, we better, we better get our booth together because we haven't needed it for a whole year. So um, we're kind of getting, getting a little bit of both worlds right now, but a lot of folks are excited about it. I'm one of them. I've seen a lot of the program we've got put together and, and I think people are going to be real happy with it. So we're doing our best to make it as good as it could possibly be. Good. Well, I'm so happy to be part of it. And then we'll, we'll make sure you get some microphone time. Okay. Well, you know me, I like to be behind the notebook. So, I mean, I might be bashful, That's but okay. I'll try to, I'll try to put on a clean shirt at least. You know, I try to do the same thing. They're like, Hey, you know, Jason, you, you want to say something? And they hand the microphone out. I'm like, no, no, no. Okay. Give me that. Then, <laughs> yeah. Of course, microphone time. Absolutely. Sign me up for that. So. But uh, anyway, Andrew, thank you so much for joining us today. Had a great time visiting with you and uh, can't wait for more coming up here in July. Good deal. Well, it'll be fun to do it in person. Yes, sir. <laughs>